This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we speak with Genius co-founder Elon Zakori about his company's start as a rap lyrics database, why Genius is getting into video, and how it lets users annotate the internet. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. Uh, I'm here with Jack Marshall. Jack is back. How was your holiday, Jack? It was great, Steve. Uh, I'm enjoying being back in the office. Though. I know. I can tell. Um, <laughs> so we're, we have we have a different kind of podcast today. We're really excited. Uh, Alon Zakori is here. He is the co-founder and president of Genius, uh, formerly known as Rap Genius. Alon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. So I don't want to condescend our listeners, but I think it may be safe to say that uh, not a ton of them are intimately familiar with looking up uh, rap music lyrics. Um, so that is, how, that is how you guys started, and uh, the company has kind of morphed a little bit, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that and talk about that. But can you, for our, for our listeners, kind of give the, a little bit of the origin story and just what, what you guys do now? Because you've raised you know, quite a bit of venture money. You've, you've been out there, but um, give us sort of the, the pitch on, on what it is the company does. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, we started as a website for you know, basically a few of our friends uh, to uh, explore the meaning of rap lyrics, which are very rich in meaning, uh, history, um, etc. And we just we were getting into computer programming. We had built some websites, built some sort of ideas, you know, businesses or whatever. And this was really a weekend hobby project that came out of talking about music we loved and saying there's there should be a cool way to t- to sort of talk about music, add knowledge, work together to create some sort of uh, interesting artifact for a song, a way to experience a song and the knowledge about the song. And uh, we just sort of futzed around and made it over the course of a weekend. And what we found ourselves and what the first few people who used the site found is, well, it's really cool to, like, read the lyrics of a song, click on the lyrics, make your comments. And, you know, we've been tweaking that model ever since for uh, the last seven-plus years. Uh, And, you know, less than a year into its existence, we really took it from a kind of platform we had built for ourselves and people we we would invite to contribute uh, to an open a wiki platform, and then started to bring artists on to tell their own backstories and figured out a way for all that to work together. Uh, and now artists are some of our most sort of involved and passionate users. And, you know, we think of it as, as like a museum of songs, um, an interactive museum of songs, uh, a sort of layer of meaning analysis and conversation on top of culture. And, you know, we'll, we can get into it, but it's not just songs, it's literature and the news and other stuff as well. But started with rap music and has kind of blossomed out into lots of different areas of culture. So when this started, what was the landscape for looking up lyrics like? I mean, I, I when I think of like Googling song lyrics now, some some of them, we can get into this, just sort of Google has it where they appear right in the in the search, but it used to be like going to azlyrics.com or some like obscure site. So lots of pop-ups. And lots of pop-ups. Ads. So for, for you guys, was it sort of like there's got to be a better way to look up lyrics and actually find out what the sort of intricate references that rappers are making in their songs actually mean? You know, there's a certain point as we got farther along and there were lots of songs on the site, we thought, hey, maybe this can be the better lyric site. But it didn't start, there's got to be a better lyric site. These are shit. Let's do a better one. It was more like, let's make 
five great sort of pro like each song was kind of a project you know let's really make a really interesting project around this song like you know really interesting blog post almost but in a very different format and so you know by the time there were 25 50 songs up we kind of realized hey maybe maybe if this thing can really uh move more quickly like it could be a better lyric site but we didn't really have the ambition to fix that part of the internet until it got farther along um Okay. The, so the, yeah, the other sites were really shitty, though. Like I remember being, you know, 15 years old and like the sort of early internet and you know, downloading songs on Napster and looking up the lyrics on AZ Lyrics and like closing pop-ups and it's a really bad, a it's a really bad scene. And you know, we've come to learn a lot about why it's why it's been bad and why it's such a premium thing in the world. Like you remember liner notes in your CDs? Like people would <clears throat> open your CDs and you'd love to read the lyrics in the liner notes. They were well designed. They were interesting. It felt intimate with the artist. You know, people have a real emotional experience with lyrics, but like why was the internet neglecting it so much? And there are reasons for that. It's because it's a really difficult rights regime to navigate and it's easier if you're like in eastern U- Ukraine and like unreachable to like have a lyrics website and run ads than it is to like have a good website and well, deal and with the music publishers. You guys ran up yeah. against that, right? Yeah, of course. So we, uh, you know, lyrics. The the, uh, the the intellectual property of lyrics is owned by sometimes by the artists themselves, but in ninety nine percent of cases by a music publisher. And um, there are there are thousands of music publishers, and they actually don't have a database of lyrics. They just have the idea of the lyrics. You know, they have like, they have a line in a in a piece of paper that says "We own the lyrics" or whatever. But nobody's actually transcribing it. At, the publishers don't have a, a, a file that says these are the correct lyrics. So somebody's got to actually make that transcription happen and make it good. Um, but fundamentally, they're looking out and saying if the lyrics are being displayed and being used in so, any sort of commercial way, uh, we need to make a deal. And so. We actually, you know, because our site is crowdsourced, much like YouTube, uh, we have you know, some DMCA protection. Uh, also, because of the co- layer of commentary, uh, there's a very good argument that this is fair use to use the lyrics. But that's not the argument that you guys made, right? Because the, the, I guess, a trade association, did they, they sue, threatened to no. sue or they, they sued and you guys agreed to pay? we never been sued, um, but the after we raised money. Yeah. So nobody really cared from the publisher's perspective until we raised money. So we raised money from Andreessen Horowitz. And as soon as that hit the news, uh, we got a, a, a le- thick letter from one of the publishers saying... <laughs> a strongly like, worded letter. A strongly worded letter that said, basically, we owed them the size of the global economy. Like, based on, like, 150,000 times a lot of words on your website... Yeah, it's like 150,000 is like the statutory damage. To the YouTube suits, I remember them. Yeah, we owed them like an absurd amount. It's like larger than... More than you raised from Andreessen Horowitz? More than Canada raised in the last (laughs) five years of like economic activity. So yeah, it was a big uh, funny number, but it wasn't so funny at the time. So we, you know, I spent two years of my life and... uh, my my friend Ben Gross, who is uh, our general counsel, you know we've we've gotten some gray hairs like working through the publishing industry, and we you know we've got to know them well and understand their business, and you know now we're partners, but it's a challenging it's a challenging thing. How do you, how do artists feel as well? I know obviously you partner with some of them and they sort of contribute to the site, um, but are there other sort of artists and creators who perhaps don't want their work to be annotated or you know want people to sort of interpret it for themselves? Yeah, so. For for the the most part, um, the vast majority of cases, artists have looked at, at genius as a really positive thing. Um, 
especially when they first learn about it, there's even very famous artists look at it and think, oh my God, I can't believe people are this obsessed. Even though people come to fill their shows, like the idea that people nerd out so much on their artwork is actually, an, it's a, there's really like a positive emotional response to that. Um, some artists look at it as great opportunity for marketing. You know, like I put out an album, millions of people are searching for my lyrics. I want them to have a premium experience, not some you know, purple website with Gillette ads or whatever. Like, I want them to have a premium experience. I want to be there telling a story. Like, a lot of artists have a knack for uh, marketing and see this as a great thing. But for most, for the most part, it's about legacy. It's about telling stories that only they know. It's a way of spending a very brief amount of time and contributing something that can be consumed even after they die. You know, like, Nas told us all these stories about Illmatic, and they're on the site, and he doesn't have to do it again. You know, he doesn't have to do another documentary and another web video and another web video. It's just on the site permanently when people look up the songs. And so most artists really, really love it. There have been, you know, I can count on one hand the sort of artists who, who say, like, I don't want my work annotated. The mystery is why I, why I do it. Um, you know, and it's kind of the more mercurial artists who you might, like, kind of expect. And, you know, one or two artists... Uh, have come and said, actually really one artist, Tracy Chapman, who doesn't want her lyrics period on the Yeah, internet. what does fast car mean, really? Well, what does fast car mean, and what are even the lyrics? She doesn't want the lyrics on, on, on her. And, you know, we respect that. Uh, it's it's sort of an, an interesting request. We're not hard to get an answer as to why that is. But for the most part, the artist community has been super supportive and just happy that someone is treating lyrics as, like, artwork. All right, so let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about sort of the other side of the business. We spoke for the first time, you and I, in, in March when you guys hired your first chief revenue officer. Um, it was sort of uh, maybe vague at the time in terms of what that was, what your ad business was going to look mm-hmm. like. Now we've had a few months, so I'm, I'm curious what what are you guys selling? Um, where do you sort of see the monetization side of your business going? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are an interesting odd-shaped company in the sort of media and music and tech landscape. Like, we don't really fit any particular uh, mold too well. We started as much more of a technology and community-based company, almost like a Wikipedia that was for-profit but wasn't making revenue. It was actually just raising money um, on the on the promise of its growth, et cetera. But so started to make money uh, and experiment and talk to advertisers, talk to brands about, you know, what they're interested in. And, um, and you know, what we're finding is that the world is moving, and this is not going to shock you or your listeners, to play mobile and video. And so the nice thing about what we do is we have you know, tens of thousands of people around the world every day contributing really interesting knowledge in, in ways that can actually be sort of scraped up into bite-sized consumable videos that are just interesting. So, for example, like when Pokemon Go comes out, um, somebody in uh, in the in the community actually went through every Pokemon reference in all of music of the past, however, since Pokemon existed. Are there a lot of those? Is that- there are like thirty good ones or whatever? <laughs> and so people are talking about like you know Charizard and, and rap songs and stuff like you know not obscure songs, like real artists yeah, talking about songs this, like, from the nineties. Rocky and Ice Cube and like all these artists who are talking about Pokemon, and uh, and so. Our video team, we've hired an internal video team, can take these little sort of knowledge bits that are timely and whatever and create videos that actually do really, really well on YouTube and Facebook. And we've had so many artists using the site for so long, doing annotations, coming for interviews. Now we put together, we make that a really nice, consistent visual style, uh, premium look, and we make that video. And all those videos do extremely well. We're also venturing into lyric videos. So there are a lot of video formats that make sense for what we do and what our identity and what our audience likes. And we're building a big video audience. 
audience. And so what we're doing with brands is what a lot of media companies are doing, which is doing partnerships that have some video component, some branded content component, some advertising component, because we're a really big website that it just has a lot of scale. Um, and so we're figuring out what works the best, but we're doing sort of high-end brand stuff with really good brands and trying to find partners who 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 align really well with our audience to support us in a major way over over sort of long-term partnerships. Uh, and where is that video content being consumed? Is that mostly on your platform or, you know, Facebook and through some of those? Channels? It's a real mix between our platform YouTube and Facebook, but the world is what it is. Like most people watch videos on on Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, and some people watch it on your website and your app as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to talk more about those partnerships uh, when we come back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Katie Hill. And I'm Quentin Fottrell. There's too many markets and more. We talk about the most fascinating personal finance stories of the week. The selfie now kills more people annually than sharks. 75% of Americans tip less than 20%. You want to collect Pikachu? Collect Pikachu. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a cotton picking minute. What's so special about a Pikachu? For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. And now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. Money, market. And more. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back with Elon Zakori. He's the co founder and president of Genius. Uh, we were just talking sort of about the, the beginnings of your um, you know, ad business. Um, and you mentioned some of the partnerships um, that you have with brands. I'm, I'm curious as well. Um, we were just looking at my phone. Uh, you guys have a partnership with Spotify where you know, I'm, li- I'm watching or rather listening to a Spotify uh, song and the genius <laughs> lyrics and sort of information kind of comes up. And that's a that's a nice experience sort of seeing the lyrics that scroll by as you're listening to the song. But I'm curious, like about that relationship and whether you see that as some uh, a way to you know further monetize that you guys might be doing these sorts of partnerships with some of the platforms that you mentioned, um, such as Facebook or Twitter. Uh, is that sort of the future, um, considering that all these platforms are, you know have such clout in the media business. Sure. And so, you know, the Spotify relationship is a really successful one. And it is a commercial relationship. It is part of our monetization. You know, with streaming services, uh, the more value you bring to the streaming service, the more money you can make from the streaming service. Uh, you might even have a, a, a transaction or a relationship where it's yourself providing all this interesting content, the streaming service doing distribution, and a brand coming in and being a part of that as well, which is we've done some sponsored behind the music playlists with Spotify where everybody makes money and the advertiser gets involved. But you know, the thing about streaming services is you know, we don't think there are enough streaming services to be our enough customers to support our business. You know, you got Spotify, Apple, Amazon, you know, Google, YouTube, those are big customers. You can do something really uh, uh, lucrative with all of them, but still it's fundamentally four or five customers. So we have to work with them, and we also have to work with the much less bounded world of brands who are interested in, in reaching our audience. Um, that We're very, just for forgetting monetization for a second, we're very interested in being a universal platform of knowledge, not only pushing knowledge to users on Spotify, but we also want Spotify listeners to be able to add knowledge back into the machine. So 
we want to bring our our whole system of knowledge creation, that sort of game element, uh, to all these distribution platforms, which we understand is a very long term project. Is there an opportunity in the data that I imagine you guys can collect as well? Um, using Spotify as an example, I mean they've always always said that they can learn a lot about their users based on sort of their listening habits, and I, I guess that you guys would probably have a similar insight to an extent. Yeah, Spotify has done an incredible job with Echo Nest, a company they bought, and their Discover Weekly playlist is something that is super popular uh, and a big part of why people stick on Spotify and don't switch. Um, we have some interesting data that we collect. We collect a ton of data about you know the the, the patterns of usage and what people are interested in. Um, in terms of what I think is one of the most useful pieces of data we have is more than anywhere else we can we can locate for an artist. Who are your biggest fans? So, you know, we have that, and that's publicly available even. Like, you know, if you're a, a small or medium artist and you want to increase your connection with your biggest fans uh, so that they can go out and be sort of force multipliers for you or be more valuable lifetime fans, more valuable customers or whatever, being cynical about it. But, like, we can tell you who spent the most time breaking down your lyrics, who's earned the most points, who's written the most on on your content. Like, you know, if you're Kanye, you can go see who are the top 500 annotators of your music, and that's going to be a really good proxy for who your most obsessed fans are, who wants to buy your merch, who wants to get special promotions. And what we're finding artists doing is, you know, they come through Genius and we show them this, and they actually make little connections with those those fans. So, like, you know, Lupe Fiasco come in and write a message to his top scholar and say, like, that was great, or, like, Wiz Khalifa will co-sign some annotations that people leave because that's that's right. And you see what happens with those fans. They become... 10 times as big of fans. And um, there's definitely a, a, a data, a small data business, I think, uh, for Genius with just that uh, for labels. Um, but, you know, it's not, it's not our top priority from a monetization perspective right now. So you guys have raised in your history more than $50 million in, in funding. It's a lot of money. What are you uh, sort of allocating that towards now? Is that, you mentioned sort of the video business. Uh, where, where are you kind of allocating your resources as you look forward? We've always allocated a ton of our resources toward engineering. You know, we are um, we are a really strong engineering company. We have um, a lot of really talented engineers who would get a job literally anywhere. And um, and our product is complicated. You know, it's, the technology is complicated. You know, it's funny when it's like when we went to Y Combinator in 2011, we had a little bit of imposter syndrome because we were kind of like you know, we're a site about rap lyrics and these are all the premier startups or whatever, but like our technology is extremely complicated and it does something at scale that's that's quite difficult. So, you know, you think about Google Docs when you're uh, editing a Google Doc with two or three people. Uh, Google, amazing job with Google Docs, great product. Um, you know, when Drake comes out with a song, you got a thousand people trying to edit one web page at the same time uh, and oftentimes, you know, have no idea what other, they generally don't know what other people are doing. And how do you make that a fluid experience that is not only doesn't crash for people and people don't step on each other's toes, but it also cranks out and yields something that is consumable and premium and your users don't get into civil wars. Like how do you build the communication infrastructure uh, and the technological infrastructure to make sense? So that's a long way of saying we invest a lot of engineering, a lot in engineering, a lot in design. Um, we are starting to invest more in video production um, because we, we had hired, you know, three video uh, uh, producers and the videos started to take off and are really working and we see that that's sort of where the 
puck is heading from a monetization and a and a consumer behavior perspective. So we'd like to build a, a 10, 20 person video team. And instead of putting out, you know, one or two really good videos a day, we'd love to be putting out 10 or 20 really good videos a day. So you, you talked about the idea of sort of annotating the web and obviously going beyond rap lyrics. Um, so I wonder, I mean, to what extent is your plan to sort of use that tech to replace internet comments to an extent? Because it seems like that could be, you know, sort of a, a potentially useful application. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking about that. You know, we uh, we have a really big ambition to uh, do with journalism and the news something similar but different to what we've done with music. So uh, perhaps a little bit, you know, on the spectrum of pure knowledge and fact to commentary and criticism. The music stuff and the poetry stuff is much is is more on the side of knowledge. The news and journalism stuff, I think, is a bit more on the side of criticism and commentary. And what we've built. You know, what happened at the beginning of the site is people, a site with the word rap in it, people were using for poetry, people were using for, uh, you know, chapters of, of, of famous works of literature. And then people started copying and pasting journal articles, Times articles, and just putting them on Rap Genius and annotating them there. So they'd see a Wall Street Journal editorial. They had some criticisms. They had some comments. They would just copy paste it. And you know the problem with that is it's, it's not fair to the Wall Street Journal. It's not a logic, logical place to consume a Wall Street Journal editorial on a Rap Genius lyrics page. And so we thought, you know, okay, there's there's some activity here. There's some desire to do the same sort of thing. And so we built a technology that allows you to annotate any web page by just typing genius.com slash before the URL. So genius.com slash wsj.com slash article. Well, it happened when I wrote about uh, you're, you're hiring a CRO as a bunch of genius employees annotated my article about genius. Did so they got, do it lovingly or? Yeah, I mean, I, they probably made fun of a little bit of my, you know, the flourish of my writing, but I, you know, I can't really blame them for that. But the, no, it was, very, it was a very interesting experience. But th- that's something that... Um, you know that you guys uh, that you seem to be sort of a magnet for controversy for a lot of different reasons, but but this particular thing, um, a couple months ago, I remember I was right around the time I wrote the story, got a little bit of uh, backlash because I think that there was a a blogger who wrote a story on her personal WordPress that some people uh, maybe annotated. Correct me if I'm I'm getting the details wrong, and she, she sort of said, "Look, I turned off comments on my on my personal blog. I don't want graffiti on on my on my page." Um, and I think you guys kind of said, look, like you throw something up on the Internet, people are going to comment. It happens on Twitter every day. Um, but wh- what was your take on, on this? Because it really did. There were, I saw a lot of stories about it. Yeah, it, it got a little steam. And, and that was interesting. I mean, I certainly respect and honor a person's emotions if their feelings are hurt by something or whatever. But we really are just a, it's, it's like a different visual display of something that is going to happen anyway and is perfectly legitimate. So people do go on Twitter and criticize articles. People do write blog posts where they just chunk excerpt your thing and comment on it. And there's no way to stop that, nor should there be a way to stop that. What we do is provide an opt-in platform where people can have a more clean and and pinpointed visual display of what that commentary is, and that's so, probably what it is. Is it, yeah, like, I when think you see it on your yeah, own it feels like page. it's in your skin right. or whatever. And I and I do understand that, but it is very much opt in. So it's not on her webpage. It's right. only for people who either have the Genius Chrome extension or type in genius.com/slash/wordpress.com or whatever her blog is called. And so you know, it does sort of like ah, it's in my. It, it looks like my post, but it really is like a different 
a different beast. And so the amount of people who are actually consuming those comments are only people who want to go there. So um, I, I, I'm sympathetic to the sort of emotional side, the sort of logical side, and like what is the argument here? Like I'm not as sympathetic to, and I think we belong. Uh, you know, it's just a better, better way of looking at criticism, better way of organizing the criticism. Are there potential sort of copyright issues there as well, similar to the ones that you ran into, you know, with song lyrics, if you're if you're pulling in sort of whole articles and pieces of content? Well, it doesn't work, actually, that we're pulling it in. So the, all the traffic still goes to the publisher, even if you have that layer added. It's like Google Translate almost. Like if, okay. you, if, you, if you run a site through Google Translate, you get sort of that top bar, the, the thing changes language, but every hit to that website is still a hit to that website. Every ad that ad impression that runs on that website still goes to that website. So we're actually not hosting any material. We're just providing like put on your glasses and look at it a it's different way. It's like one way. of those Chrome extensions that changes the word millennial to snake person or something <laughs> like that. It's a sort of filter above the actual web page. Yes. Okay. It is exactly that. So you guys as well, you were you hired uh, you hired some journalists. Um, you kind of had this this news division. I think a few people left. I'm curious it was that is that still an ambition of yours to kind of have like a news I, I'm not quite sure. Would it be sort of like a, a news criticism unit or kind of people guiding the editorial uh, that, that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's still look, it's still community based. So our vision of this is that this is a it's it's a commenting and criticism and, and knowledge platform. So maybe bringing in other people to do some criticism, right? Kind of moderating that. And so the the idea of you know, hiring, for example, Leah Finnegan, who worked at the company for a little while, who was amazing, was you know she came in and and set an example to people of how you can do really smart and funny, great uh, media criticism uh, and get your message out that way. And there are a lot of people who came you know, and said, oh, I see what Lee is doing now. I'm going to do it too. And the idea is like, we're not going to hire um, writers to just write. Um, and if you want to be a writer, you know, that, that there are other great places to work. Um, the point of, of hiring journalists or media critics or whatever is to set an example and to lead and to get dozens of other people to do the same thing because this is only interesting. Like our ambition is basically reading web content on your browser is a bit of a lonely experience. That's why people turn to Twitter and Facebook because it's social. Reading the Wall Street Journal, I want to be able to also read. I want to read that with my friends, and if I have something to say on the Wall Street Journal article, I want to just say it right there, and I want my friends to be able to stumble upon that. And I also want to be able to stumble upon what my friends or people I'm interested in are writing as I browse. Yeah. And so that's the idea. And so whether it's Leah or you know now there's these folks who um, you know are these sort of critics on Twitter who have a podcast called Chapo Trap House. Like they every bad article that comes up you know they get on it they annotate it their followers are into it they get in a conversation and so it's about creating a culture where people create good annotations that are interesting and and in the realm of news it's quite subjective and tricky to know what's good do you find that um you you mentioned they kind of target bad articles which are sort of easy fodder for annotation but do you find from the news and commentary perspective that people are annotating stories that they like and why they like them? I'm just curious if that's like an impulse people have on the platform. Yeah, yeah. So I have the Chrome extension, of course. And so whenever I'm going around the internet, I stumble upon wherever there are annotations, I see them. And so I'll be reading like an incredible uh, New Yorker article or something. Like, you know, New Yorker wrote a big profile of Sam Altman, who is the head of Y Combinator, this week. And so if you go to that with the Chrome extension, you'll see uh, annotations from... You know, people who would be in Hacker News, you know, uh, folks who are interested in the subject. And so they're not there just to say, like, this is shit and, like, this journalist sucks or whatever. They're saying, like, this brings up this other idea. Actually, I think that this is something about Silicon Valley that if you zoom out, 
you see it a different way. If you zoom in, you see it a different way. And so people are definitely using it um, just well, to say, here's an interesting thing. It's interesting because so many news sites are getting rid of their comment section. So I think that there's definitely a sense that commenting on the internet can be better and sort of growing up in a tradition of internet journalism myself, you're, where you're sort of like the cliche is you can never read the comments, right? Like if you're a reporter, don't read the comments read of your own article. And I mean, I can say for certain that sometimes the, the comments are that you see are like pretty nuts. So I, I understand they why. They can be useful too. They, they can't. Can, yes, there. yes, of course, especially at the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal <laughs> commenters are the best. But, you know, at other places, I'm told there can be some, um, you know, some weirder comments. So I, I get that. I think it's... Um, it's just the platform – I think the platform issue that we talked about is one that you guys might run up against, which is to say, like, I know I noticed you, you have an app with iMessage. The, I feel like are you guys really laser-focused on figuring out deals with – you mentioned Snapchat, Facebook, those platforms where so much media consumption is happening. It just seems pivotal for your business that you would have to be able to annotate – on Facebook, which is just like, why would they open that up to you? Right. Well, you know, what you can do with Facebook might not be literally annotating other people's comments on Facebook, although, you know, a boy can dream, uh, <laughs> you know, but you might actually build something really cool on Facebook Messenger. And that's what we're doing with, with uh, uh, iMessages. We have like a really cool way of sending people lyrics messages along with pictures of yourself, along with pictures of the artist and send this sort of like lyric image card or whatever. And that's not the same as sort of annotating your friend's home screen or whatever like we want to get you know all up in everything but like we're you know one step at a time and um there are platform issues uh you know with respect to like if everyone's if facebook instant took off for example which i haven't really seen happen yet facebook the the where you read the full article on facebook yeah yeah. uh instant articles yeah like you know that becomes a challenge for annotating the internet because how does genius fit in and, and annotate on those articles it's challenging but, you know, right now people still use the web to read. And uh, and so as far as that goes, like, I think we have a lot of room to play and annotate stuff. And certainly in our bread and butter of, like, uh, music culture, uh, we've got a lot to do. So, you know, as with any company that I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of people, like, you got to focus. And so, you know, I think if I were to extend myself into thinking about how to annotate literal Snapchats, I'd probably, like, be in an insane asylum. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. So I, I was just going to say, along those lines, I mean, where do, where is that discussion happening? Where do you sort of see, or who do you see as competition? I mean, is it is it Twitter and Facebook? Largely, yeah, I, th- I think I think uh, I think Twitter is for the news product. You know, I think we like to. It's not so much competition, but a lot of there's a lot of chaos and a lot of trash and a lot of noise on Twitter for sure. But a lot of the good stuff that happens on Twitter, I would like to say, hey, like. You, see, you know how you're screenshotting this article and then tweeting about it? All like, the time. Happens all the time. Like, and I understand why. Like, I'm not saying that's so stupid or whatever. Like, you have a following there. You want to get it out. Like, you get feedback. It's like there's a lot of good juice that comes from doing that. But there's a better way. Like, from a product perspective and, uh, and if you have the patience to actually sit down and do something concerted, if you go through and annotate, and you see examples of this every day where someone intelligently annotates a full article and creates a real substantial criticism and dialogue around it and then you can send that to your followers so i think twitter is where a lot of the good stuff that we want to happen on uh, on the web annotator news genius product uh happens all right well cool we'll be we'll be following along we'll be annotating along uh we'll have a story up about this so i'm sure that's going to get annotated sweet um, looking forward <laughs> to that so uh, alon thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We'll catch you next time on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.